Limitless Entrepreneurship with Miss Allison Franz. Am, am I pronouncing that right? I want to make sure I get it right. Some people say friends, some people say Franz. Either one is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Build a Bootcamp, a podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs who are frustrated with their job. You can join us and learn how to build and scale your own business. Now, during each episode, I introduce a topic that relates to business or entrepreneurship and whether or not it's myself or a special guest. Today, we have Miss Franz or Franz or however you want to pronounce it. Uh, the information will be valuable in building and scaling your own business. We'll get started right after this. Limitless entrepreneurship. So how are you doing this morning, Allison? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I just got through doing a, uh, another show. Today is going to be a very interesting podcast day for me this Friday. This will be Friday uh, morning because this is my second episode. I'm doing two more before the end of this afternoon. Um, it's funny because it doesn't feel like work to me because I'm a talker. So the more I get to talk to interesting people, I'm kind of like in my zone. So <laughs> now by the end of it, though, I, 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 I've noticed, though, uh, when I do these long stints like this, I end up getting pretty drained. But uh, it, it, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I really love it. So we are actually live on Clubhouse. So if you're listening on Clubhouse right now in the live version of this podcast, uh, stick around. We're going to be doing a quick after show. Just very quick. I want to respect uh, her time. But um, and for, for those of you that are new to the show, if you uh, get value, only if you get value out of this episode, uh, please share it with three people. And follow me on Instagram um, at ljhaywoodcom. I try to get at ljhaywood.com, but Instagram's too smart for that, so they didn't let me pull that 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 noise. So <laughs> it's just at ljhaywoodcom, and you can go to the website to get the most recent episodes of the podcast and to book a time to get on my calendar. So today we're talking about limitless entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm here with a, a best-selling author, uh, entrepreneur, um, just very driven person. Uh, Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, LJ. Uh, this is going to be fun. I, I think that um, when we were looking, I was looking over your bio, I was looking over some of the things that you've worked on. Um, I really want to get into this because it, it will add a lot of uh, context to uh, to why you're on the show. Because, you know, mindset is such a is such a it's such an important part of business. But what I've noticed with early entrepreneurship, like like people are just starting a business, or just starting in sales, maybe, maybe the, they focus too much on the 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 like the how to like the how to stuff. But if their mindset, you get what I'm saying, right? Like if their mindset isn't in the right place, then their limiting beliefs and things of that nature are what is going to cap their income, cap their potential. Um, I just had a conversation recently where I was talking to some people, and I was like, "Look, you don't need permission." to succeed in business. And I think a lot of people are looking for things like that. Is that along the lines of what we're going to be talking about today? Because <laughs> I hope that I'm not too much off topic. We can certainly get into that if that's on your agenda. There's so much we could talk about in terms of mindset. The, you know, I see business as a holistic experience. It's internal and external. Uh, at a minimum, they're equally important. I actually think the internal is more important than the external because you can have all the information in the world, but if you're not implementing it from the correct way, if you're not confident in your offers, if you don't know your value, if you're not okay putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, you are not gonna get anywhere. <laughs> not at all, 100%. And I, I found that a lot too with, um, 
like recently, especially with COVID, a lot of the the people that I've seen that I've been working with, they're they're under they're underpriced in in, in, in a sense. Um, they're pricing themselves out of the market because of not having this the right uh, uh, entrepreneur mindset, like having the right mindset, the business owner mindset, where like they're looking for profits. Um, what do you think that really stems from? I mean, with some of the people you've coached in the back in, in the past. Well, you know, there's money blocks and there's sales blocks, right? And money blocks generally come from the past. They come from either the way that we were raised, previous money traumas, you know, societal beliefs about money and affluent people, right? People always have so many judgments about people who are affluent. People have so many judgments about people who charge a lot of money, right? So all these things can get in the way in terms of money blocks, but then some people also have sales blocks, right? There's all these beliefs about salespeople are sleazy and you should be giving people the best deal in town if you really like them and, you know, things like that. And then there's actually, you can actually have blocks within the sales process, right? People can have blocks on a sales call, right? So there's so many possibilities of what could be going on if you're not getting the results that you want, which is why I have the mindset mastery method. <laughs> the mindset mastery method. And I want to talk about that. So if you guys are listening to the podcast, we want to get into that. So that's a little bit of a, a teaser there. But mm -hmm. let's talk about your background. Tell me a little bit about like, what. so where, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Rhode Island. Really? Uh, yes. Really? My mom is actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually Irish. And I'm Irish, Black, and Native American. And my mom uh, lived in Rhode Island. I don't know if she was born there, but she, I, I, I think she was born in Rhode Island. And then they moved to New York and, it, and they lived in Long Island when they moved to New York. But she's definitely from Rhode Island. Yeah. It's very yep. small world. There's a lot of Rhode Island, New York crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So tell me about growing up there. Like, what was it like? So um, growing up in Rhode Island, it was, I guess, a regular upbringing, you know, um, in terms of the environment. You know, I definitely had a lot of challenges within my family. My family is an interesting bunch. We'll just, I guess we'll keep it at that unless you really want to dig deep in there. But, um, yeah, it was, I think it was nothing particularly exciting. You know, when I was very young, I was raised by my grandparents. My parents worked a lot. Yeah. And, uh, then in elementary school, I was babysat until my father had a really bad back injury. And then he actually was, became more available for me and, um, and, you know, and I just went to public schools in Cumberland, Rhode Island. We lived between Cumberland and Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. uh, later on, I, I, as an adult, I've lived primarily in the Providence area. Mm. Yeah. My, uh, my grandparents raised us too. Cause my, uh, my parents, uh, they weren't really ready for kids. So, uh, I was with my grandmother and one of the things that got, got me at this entrepreneurial bug was, um, if I wanted to get things, I didn't want to ask my grandmother because she was already sacrificing so much. So I would go out there and get it. Like I would, I'd start my little, I was selling like candies and stuff like that. Or I would, I remember this lady named BJ. She was an older uh, young lady. Oh, 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 she was an older uh, woman and she uh, lived in our complex and I would take her out shopping. Right. And I'd spend the whole day. It was, it was very odd too, because this is about knowing your worth. Cause BJ was such, was so much older that she thought it was appropriate to give me a few quarters <laughs> to go shopping with her for a whole day. And my granny would, it was funny because my grandmother knew. So my granny would actually pay me to go take care of BJ. Right. But so Miss BJ would be like, 
here's here's the quarter. Get you back of chips, you know, something like I'm like, I'm spending the whole day with Miss BJ all day, Granny. Like she gave me two quarters in a bag of chips. I ain't <laughs> I'm a nice guy, but this is ridiculous. And my granny's kind of laughing. She goes, she goes, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'll take care of you. So, but anyhow, that that was some of the things that I did. <laughs> I also also was a musician. So um, our band would put together gigs. And this was the one thing I, I noticed about me that I'm really good as, as a promoter because our band wasn't the best band. We didn't have the best musicians. We had we had a great, we, we were consistent. And we would, uh, I'd go out to different gigs and say, hey, listen, we're trying to get booked. And I'd meet the the owner. I'd say, uh, and I was always the pitch guy. Like, hey, listen, listen, uh, our band, we play ska, we'll play whatever you want. You send us a, if, if you could send us a list of music, whatever the venue is, we will learn the music and play it. That's how we were, we were pretty good. So, uh, and that if they were already booked, I'd say, well, look, if the guy that you have booked doesn't show up or they cancel, you need a band that night. So call us and we'll be there. So like on Friday nights, we would go and practice around like right after school, we go to practice and then we'd load our truck up. And if we didn't have anything booked, we would just sit there, wait for the phone to ring for one of these guys to call us and we would get booked. And that was how we hustled. And then we would even, if we couldn't get booked anywhere, on the weekends where we couldn't get any kind of confirmations, we would have events at, at, at my friend's place and we would charge $5 a couple. And that's how we made money uh, in the band. And at the end of the night, depend, we, all were, we all were tasked to promote for the event. And at the end of the night, if we got like, you know, a couple thousand dollars, right, we would split it up amongst the band. And that's how we made our money on the weekends. So uh, I've always kind of been that kind of, and I, I like to promote things that I actually think are good. So like if the band was terrible, I would leave the band. <laughs> I'm like, look, I can't promote you guys. Y'all suck. <laughs> but if they were good, yeah, we would have a, a lot of fun doing that. And that was one of the things that uh, got me that entrepreneurial book. Plus my grandmother, she used to sell, um, this is old school, like Avon and um, like Amway back when she was, you know. And so uh, when we, I'd come from school, she'd have the boxes and I had to go and deliver the products to all of her customers and and collect the money. Um, kind of like a paper boy, but with like, with like, with like skincare products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So what was your what was your first um like entrepreneurial uh kind of venture uh, early on? Well, so I did my father did have businesses that I watched growing up Very and cool. okay. and um probably my first real entrepreneurial adventure was when I tried to start the babysitters club when I was about 12. <laughs> Uh, didn't go over very well, but I don't know what if you're... Wait, 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 what happened? <laughs> so when I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book series, The Babysitter's Club. Oh, yeah, but... I'm, I'm familiar. Once you said it, I was like, yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I used to read those books when I was a kid, and I thought it was like the best idea ever to have of The Babysitter's Club. You know, they would have these meetings like once or twice a week, and people would call in, and they would book them, and then they'd go babysit and make money, and I thought this was like the best idea ever. Um, so we, I tried with my friends to like make it live and we of course put out flyers like this is before printers were a thing on a computer, right? So this is right. like handwritten flyers in pencil, like folded, put in mailboxes, right? Nice. Hey, nothing wrong with that. That might, that's actually very effective. Okay. And we would distribute them all over the neighborhood. And, um, I think we've got maybe two calls. <laughs> We might have got two calls over a period of I don't know how long. We only had about five. I don't know how many meetings we had. We might have had probably less than five meetings. So, <laughs> um, yeah. 
Hey, no, uh, no problem with humble beginnings, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So that, that, that actually is interesting though, because um, those kind of lessons, we were, I was just talking to somebody where this guy was saying that in Canada, this couple, I guess they stumbled into purchasing like uh, boathouses or whatever in this, mm -hmm. in this, in this city and everything they did worked, everything they did work. And they were, they, they had like hundreds of these houses and they're renting them out and they're making a killing. But when they had a hiccup in their business, because everything that they had done up to that point had worked so perfectly, when they had a hiccup, they the business plummeted immediately. And he mm -hmm. was saying when he was saying that, I was like, it's very interesting because I would never want to work with somebody that everything has just been perfect for them. Because once things go bad, they don't have a, a, a um like a reference, a point of reference to to get things back on track. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although so like, I'm not sure, is, is there like, such thing as, as a being a business owner and not having things <laughs> and having things perfect the whole time? <laughs> no, well, that's that was the thing though. I think what happened was they they hit some sort of a, a, a they nailed it on something. It was like whatever that was, like that spot okay. of town. They showed up and made this thing work, and it was like perfect timing. Like that doesn't that never really happens. It was just like everything lined up. Yeah. They didn't it's know like, how to invest the money. They made all this money. And then once they started having issues, which kind of, you know, will come up, they didn't know what to do because everything was just working out. I'm sure they had a couple little hiccups, but whatever was major, it just plummeted their business. And that makes that makes sense to me because, like, you see, uh, it's the same thing with the with the different bubbles that were happening, right? You, ha you had a tech guy that when the dot combo happened, they just had all this money all of a sudden, and then they didn't know what to do with it. And they just were like, <laughs> you know, it happens to people. And so I always look at I always want to ask people like, what were some of the hiccups you had? Because then I could say, oh, well, this person struggled and they actually bounced back. I respect that more. That's what I want to work with more than somebody that everything was just kind of like, oh yeah, then this happened, this happened. Also, like you just said there too, there's a lack of honesty. If somebody is telling you that like everything they've done has always been perfect, then it's like, mm, I don't know about that. There's no way that's even the case. Yeah, I think of business, it's almost like a science experiment. Right. Mm. Some sometimes it's going really well, but it's eventually something's going to pop up and you're going to have to work with that. You're going to have to um, pivot. You're going to have to tweak. You're going to have to rethink some things. You might have to fire people. You might have to, <laughs> you know, you just don't know. Uh, it's like a science experiment. You know, sometimes it's, you know, you're getting the outcome exactly that you want. But at some point, uh, don't count on it. Because everything you do is, is it's kind of like this ongoing experiment and not every experiment is going to go well every time. So, And I want to talk about some of the things you're working on currently, but let's talk about your college years because you mentioned uh, you, you went to school and you focused on, on leadership. Is that I, I noticed that in your notes? Yeah. So I do have a certificate in leadership, but I also studied psychology and social work in okay. general. Studies. So I studied a few things in college. <laughs> Okay. I, I also studied marketing in college for a short time. You know? Okay. And uh, and the and in the background. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that. So it's leadership, uh, marketing, psychology. A lot of those things are very important when it comes to business because you're you're, you're a lot of inter interpersonal communication skills need to be in place. Um, when you when you started to get out of college, what were what were some of the first business things things you got involved in after that point? So when I graduated with my master's degree, it was uh, I was a therapist, and okay. um, within a couple of years, I started a therapy practice. 
I was about to ask you that. So uh, starting therapy, what were some of the early, um, uh, I guess, challenges in, in, in starting your own practice? Because I mean, that's like, uh, the reason why I asked that question is because I've noticed uh, like therapists, uh, lawyers, they start their own practice, but I'm, does, does, does the school really teach you how to run your own practice, so to speak? Or does it not really focus too much on that? Not at all. Zero. <laughs> that, that bothers me. That doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, you mind you mind sharing some of that, a little bit about that, about that experience? Yeah, sure. So um, so my first official job after I got, you know, a master's degree, a clinical master's degree, um, I worked for a nonprofit and mm -hmm. I was approached by a friend of mine who became a mentor to me who said, because I'm bilingual, I speak Spanish. And he said to me, listen, there's a really huge demand in our community for Spanish speaking clinicians. And uh, you could make a lot more money if you were out on your own and, you know, not have to deal with the bureaucracy and this and that and the third. And I could help you to get connected. I could show you everything you need to know in order to get started. And uh, so if and when you're ready to do that, let me know and I'll help you out. And so I said, all right, sounds good didn't take them up on it right away. Um, what I actually did was wait until I just couldn't take it anymore at my last job. And then I shopped around for another job looking for like, okay. And I kind of realized I was probably almost near the top of the salary that I could be offered for doing what I was doing. Um, I had one, one job offer that uh, wanted to pay me like a couple thousand dollars a year less than what I was making. Um, and I was like, nope, that's not going to work. And then I had knowing your, knowing your worth is important for sure. Yeah. Right. And then I had another job offer where they were actually going to pay me more, but I just had like a bad gut feeling about it. And, uh, I just followed my gut and didn't take the job. So that left me, I was like, all right, now I've seen what's out there. I, I guess I should just go do it on my own. And so I did. And uh, my my job, my the nonprofit I was working for was actually really upset with me for leaving. Like they were mad, <laughs> like 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 the nerve I had to leave them, I guess you could say. Right. So I guess they I found I guess they had plans for me down the line and I rained on their parade. So. We're going to say something. No, I was just going to say that 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 tends to bother me sometimes, too, because like um, every job or every, every project, now I'm looking at it as a project, has, is temporary to, to an extent, right? I mean, people need to be able to have space to grow. So exactly. if you grew out of that, does that make sense? Because like, that really does bother me sometimes. Because like, I've seen so many people where they have an opportunity to move on to the next thing because the nonprofit was an opportunity for you to work in that industry or whatever, um, not just your specific story, but just in, any, in anything. And it's time for that person to move on to the next thing. I had that same issue. My background's in the military. And when I was transitioning out, I felt like in my journey, that portion mm -hmm. of it, as far I'm, I'm still in the service as a reservist now, right? Because there's still certain mentoring things that I wanted to continue to do with younger guys that I got mm -hmm. early on that I, I really did value. And, but there was a point where I was like, you know what? The things that this has been able to teach me, I think I kind of got it. I think I kind of got it. I, I, I and that's my decision to make. I mean, whether or not I'm right or wrong, right? But I, I decided that, and there were some people that were not really um, supportive of that decision because they figured, 
oh, well, you're going to get out. You're going to fail. It's tough out there. You know, all, all the things, right, that people say when you're when you're transitioning into a different chapter in your life. And now um, I'm looking at things now where uh, I went through that process and my fiance, she's getting ready to get out. And it helps her out, too, because I've already gone through it. So some of the pitfalls that I experienced early on when I got when I transitioned out of that, she can learn from that. And just like with you, if you would have just stayed in that, I'm sure that there was a lot of growth that came from having to take that leap of faith. And I, I just encourage people that if somebody is, and this is just to the like, audience, if somebody is working with you and they get a better opportunity, man, cheer them on. Cheer them on because they've already got all those negative thoughts in their head already. So I don't know. I don't, that, that That's something that I don't know. I want to get too um, emotionally invested in that. But uh, I've seen it happen countless times. So when you did decide to move on and, and start your own practice, um, what were some of the early successes and what were some of the early struggles that you had? Yeah. So it took me a lot longer to get going than I had envisioned. And that for, my first year was pretty slow, really. Um, what had sort of happened was, you know, that mentor that helped me out, he had helped me to get this particular contract with a national company, uh, that was, had a local branch near, you know, fairly close to where I was living. Mm -hmm. And that contract, are they referring you clients? Is that how that would work in, in a sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was contracted with this company, but what happened was this company, I guess all the my whole contract would have had to go through their branch in Florida. And so they sent everything to Florida, but Florida wasn't responding. Right, it got, <laughs> got bottlenecked. Yeah, so we were waiting on Florida for a long time and it just never, I don't know, things just didn't end up going well with the Florida piece and it never ended up really quite matriculating the way we had wanted and needed it to. So I ended up, doing a little bit of work for them, but not the size that we had originally planned, which left a big gap in my, what I had intended, intended on and doing. The income, I mean, you, if you, if, if you sign a contract with somebody and they're saying they're going to send you say 10 qualified leads and you're, and you're saying, okay, if I get 10 qualified leads, maybe I'll close half those deals. Uh, this is what I can project my income to be. If, 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 if the company sends those leads to someone that doesn't get those in your hand or so, so to speak, then all those projections, because you probably have other uh, avenues of uh, referrals coming in from other other sources, but that's a huge piece of it as well. So you have to make you, you plan your budget accordingly. So yeah, absolutely. So how'd you how, how'd you how'd you uh, get past that? That sounds that sounds sucked. <laughs> Sorry. So well, I mean, the good news was I was I think I was like 28 and didn't know any better and was like whatever it'll work out and. Um, and, you know, I'd seen my father have businesses. I was like, yeah, well, I guess it'll eventually take off. I, I, for some reason, I wasn't particularly worried. Um, I was that's like, not, okay. That's necessarily I, a bad thing. Yeah, it sounds pretty interesting. Right. Um, and I, I was kind of enjoying my life. I had a lot of free time, you know, and I had some savings. So I, I kind of enjoyed my life for about six to nine months while things were pretty slow. And uh, during that six to nine months, I started to get new referral sources, right? So I started, you know, I did have, you know, I did have some clients and I did have um, a lot of, I started to get a lot of new referral sources through relationships and results that I was getting for people. So, um, that so makes a lot of sense. 
That's so momentum was building. Momentum was building. It was slow, but it built. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that was one of the things that um, it, it's interesting because uh, one of the things I've been talking to people about, and with, even with the podcast, is it's a res- it, it, for me, it's a distribution source for me. So like the people that don't understand, that haven't been in business very long, they're like, "Why are you doing this hobbyist podcast thing?" I'm like, "That's not what I'm doing right here, dude." Like, you, this is part of my business strategy. It really is. Because I'm meeting new, uh, uh, I'm building my network, which in turn builds your net worth. If all you focused on was some, where were you at, by the way, when you were when you started your first practice? Where was it at again? What? Uh, what city was it in? Your, your oh, um, so I was in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Okay, so you were in Rhode Island, and then initially, because I'm trying to like uh, make sure I was clear, so you started there, and then you were getting referrals that were getting sent down to Florida, and they were getting bottlenecked. So you said, okay. I'm going to figure it out, which is what entrepreneurs have to do. You got to eventually savings is going to run out. He's <laughs> like, so you got to figure it out. Right. So you're like, all right, I'll just figure out different referral sources. Um, now, when you went through that, because uh, this is another thing you brought up that I really loved is that I've I've heard I don't agree with this. It's just my opinion. I mean, you, if, I don't think it's a smart idea to just quit your job, go into your business, have no savings, have no I've never started a business, have no experience with marketing, have no experience. I've seen people encourage people to just do the, the to me, that's stupid. I, I I mean, if you don't have the savings, because you can't compare, you can't put, you can't compare apples to apples. So like if you and I are this are, graduate school at the same time and you're not working, you're fo- focusing 100% on your business and I do the same thing. I don't, I can't count your pockets. So I don't know how you're able to do that. You may have a financier, you may have savings in place. Don't just take people's advice. Oh yeah, girl, I just quit my job and I started my business and it, it worked out after about six months, like, like your story. But they don't understand that you may have savings in place. You might've been preparing for this for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they just see the, the wow, she quit her job and she's in the business. I'm gonna do the same thing. And the reason why I'm saying all this is because this is for aspiring entrepreneurs. I don't want people to put themselves in a position where they're at a financial deficit, you know, before they go into their business. Yeah, you, you should take risk, but it should be a calculated risk, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. Does that make sense? Because I, I want to make sure that that point was kind of nailed that point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what can happen is if you don't have sort of some structure in place to support you when you're in that beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, like mm-hmm. especially financially, you can kind of go into a little bit of a panic Mm. and not make the proper decisions that are going to, you know, put you into that, the direction you want to go in. Because if you're just sitting there with no money, right, that can really tempt you to want to lower your prices, right? It can tempt you because it's like, oh, I don't, I, I need a client. You know, you start getting this feeling of, you know, desperation almost, right? So it's like, oh, maybe I should lower my prices so I can get more people in. Or, you know, maybe I should uh, be focusing on this other niche because I think I can make more money that way. It's taking, you know, maybe this is the wrong niche and I'm not going to be able to make money in this niche. And maybe I should go into this other niche because it's going to make me money because I need money. You know, Um, there's a lot of things that can go on internally when you're you haven't set yourself up for success at the beginning of your business. I love that. I love that. The way you put it was much better than how I put it. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> because uh, the the frantic the franticness of that, it creates 
a subconscious thing that it's actually a self-fulfilling pro- pro- self-fulfilling prophecy where you come from a need like need and want right if i want to help people that comes from a position of power of uh, uh, confidence listen i really want to help my clients if you need to help your clients because you're financially not taking care of your business then that's where you said i need i need to get this money i need need and also what, what, what that does is positioning is lost you've lost all positioning so now your clients are like oh you need me i shouldn't my therapist shouldn't need me right like i mean think about that for a second right that makes no sense at all i mean in my in my opinion that's just my opinion so if you're right you, if, <laughs> okay good i wasn't really sure if that that, 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 if that came off as is uh is, uh, is, uh, is the way i wanted it to come off because you know tonality is everything but I don't want people to feel like I need them. Um, I'm, I, I want them to know that look, I want to help you, but I don't need the business that bad to where I'm going to, one, uh, go uh, mess up my integrity, um, make my feel, uh, demean myself for the business. I've seen so many people where I'm like, dude, you don't need this client that bad, dude. Like, they're, you're, 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 it's hurting you at a whole other level. Not even financially, like this. You get what I'm saying? You can fire this client. You don't need to deal with this. Yep. At all. And, and the other thing too is that when you're in that place of feeling frantic and feeling like you need to keep these keep a client or need to, you know, enroll a client, you're giving off this needy energy, which is going to make people lean away from you, right? When when people are like, oh, right, that makes you be like, whoa, right? So it's like even though it might. It, it might not actually look like that on a sales call. Energetically, that's what's happening. And and people can feel that. And they're like, they're going to be like, uh, yeah, let me think about this. Like, yeah, you know? I, I know? That happened to me recently. I had a kid. He was, uh, I wasn't really sold on what his pitching was. but Because for me, I don't like cold marketing. So, like, if you reach out to me and it wasn't, like, through, because I put out so much content. Like, I don't like people just, like, reaching randomly, right? And so that's always a red flag for me because you got to warm me up because that's what i do for my clients i don't just cold call people hey hey so-and-so do you know who like that's that's lame so he did that and then but he had i was like all right let me listen to what you guys say all right that sounds interesting give me give me a couple of days because i'm busy with the military i've got all these other things let me uh let me look into this and i'm gonna get get back to you tomorrow and he proceeded to bombard me with things that he thought were clever which they weren't um uh bombard me with oh real entrepreneurs make decisions immediately and all this stuff that you hear from these kind of like he just learned he i felt like he read like the the sleaziest sales book ever and was just like and all those things i'm like i actually liked his product to be honest with you i just didn't like his approach so i'm like look now what happens is i'm buying that product but it's not from you yeah that happens that so many people in sales like that don't understand this stuff like that person wants the product but if you would have not been so needy then now you all you've done is convince them to go buy from somebody else that's going to be better positioned not as needy and not as pushy and adds value you know people aren't adding value not telling stories they're not sharing con- you know sharing their journey they're just like bye 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 and that's not how you marketing shouldn't feel like marketing to me it, it should feel um, like a conversation, it should feel friendly. I was on a sales call, a couple of sales calls recently, and now and we'll get back on track. But I was on a couple of sales calls. My buddy was going to a cookout. I was like, "Hey, man, look, uh, that particular day I am off, 
but I am taking an in, incoming uh, sales calls. And he's like, well, you can make those calls on the way to the cookout. So I had about, we had about three hour drive. So about every 30 minutes or so I had another call and every call was like, Hey, LJ, Hey, you know, it was just like, he's like, so then after we're done with, after I'm done with all that, he's like, those are all your clients. I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, it sounded like, they sounded like, like friends of yours. I'm like, that's what I decided recently that I want. I don't want to be in a position where the people that I'm working with, it feels like this, like very transactional arrangement because that's just not how I operate in my day-to-day -day life. And whether or not people agree with it is irrelevant to me because I want to make sure my clients feel comfortable. So whenever it gets too weird, I'm like, well, listen, if this is weird, it's weird for me too. This is like, if it's awkward for you, it's awkward for me too. So let's just end this relationship. That's how I'm, I'm fine with that. And I don't need to chase that down. Um, hopefully that's not too much of a tangent because if you're going to have what we're talking about, limitless entrepreneurship, a lot of these things that we're talking about limit your ability to connect with people. I think connection is the most important thing. So if you have these wrong, like you talked about mindsets, um, and I, I would love to talk more about how this applies because you come from a, from a clinical perspective, perspective too. So you're able to like analyze things. I'm sure you're able to pick up things on, about me as we're talking. My friend, she's a, she's, she, she likes to psychoanalyze me and, and, and not really say anything. She's like, ah, I, I. <laughs> Because <laughs> she comes from a military background, so she picks up on some of my military things. Like we'll go out, I'll be out, and uh, uh, she's like, uh, "You have uh, what is it?" Um, where I'm always like scanning, like I'm always like looking at different things, like uh, oh, hyper awareness. Like I'm like, I don't know what that is. She explained it to me, so I'm sure you can pick up on some of these things too. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, plus a little bit of the uh, like I, I I tend to get. Uh, anyways, don't do that. <laughs> don't okay. stop me. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big analyzer. It it only kicks in if I need if I need it to. But I think you you made a great point about uh you know when you talked about how you want your you want everything to feel good and flowy and friendly, right? With you between you and your clients, between you and your sales calls, right? And yeah, there's some people who will say do that, and some people who will say don't do that. And uh, what that really is about is alignment, and that's a part of my process is that you have to be running your business in a way that's aligned for you and your people. And there's not enough emphasis on that because what the, you know, there's a lot of gurus out there saying, you know, in the Facebook ads, guess what? I just made a million dollars in six months. Do you want my plan? Right? I just made, you know, uh, $25,000 today. You know, would you like my roadmap? You know, like, you know, all these things are out there. It can work for you too. Well, it could if that's their process is aligned for you, right? So for you, cold outreach is not alignment for you, right? There probably are some people who it is alignment for them and it works for them, but it's not going to work for you because that doesn't resonate with you and it probably doesn't resonate with your people, right? No. So, no. So, and that is one of the parts of limitless entrepreneurship, right? Because you have, everybody has a slightly unique situation. Everyone's business is slightly unique. Everybody is a little bit different from the other people. Everyone's ICA is a little bit different from the other ICAs, right? So it's, that's why what's it's the, like what's a the ICA. Ideal client avatar. Ah, I want for the people in the back of the room. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ideal client avatar. So everybody's ideal client avatar is going to be absolutely, absolutely. I love that. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm going to make sure everybody's up to speed. 
Oh no, that's okay. And 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 then you have to know: do you do you have an ideal client avatar? Do you have an ideal client community, or do you have multiple ideal client avatars? You could have three different scenarios there. Yeah, I think that that was something that I learned recently. Um, one of the reasons why I did the podcast, and this was just naturally because of our team, like so I sell financial services. So if I meet a client, say she's a single mom, African American, a uh, couple kids. I have a person in my team that will relate to that person better than I could. Now, yes, uh, I could make that sell and probably make a bigger commission without kicking that to another agent and having to split it. However, I'm more likely to build a better connection. Our team is more likely to build a better connection if I say, well, you know what? I'd like to get you on a, a phone call with Majida, but she's going she's gonna, to she's gonna come on the podcast next with Majida because they're going to relate that's her her client avatar like you're talking about are ten pretty much are people just like her uh in, in, in a sense that's not always the case most of the time it is um i've found uh but that's not always the case um i found that i've my client avatar has kind of changed it's like i thought i know who it was but now it's like totally like i'm getting more of people like this specific archetype that i had no idea those people were were vibing with what i was putting out there i'm just putting myself out there so you don't know what people are going to connect with but can you talk about that when it comes to to figuring out that client avatar are there any strategies or ways or, or things you can focus on to see where you should focus that energy is it, I, I'm, I'm trying to phrase that question properly but you get what i mean right like how do you figure out who that client avatar is in your business yeah so your your client avatar is actually going to be evolving as you evolve Right. And that's one of the places where people struggle a lot. And at one time I was struggling with that myself, um, because what happens is when we level up, our ideal client avatar levels up, too. So that's something to always be keeping in mind. Um, what I like to say is I like to think about what is your long term vision? Like, what do you want to be doing down the line in three, five, 10, 20 years? And then you want to be bridging the gap between where you are now in that vision. Think about who that client avatar is at that time. And then you want to be working toward that client avatar. That makes That's sense. Very well said. I, I Listen, guys, if you're not taking notes on that, mm -hmm. I just learned a lot there because mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense. Like, like with my story, when I first got into financial services, a lot of the people that I was talking to were just like me, young, single, didn't really have much savings. You know, and I was talking to people like me, I wasn't closing any accounts because none of those guys gave a shit about their finances. They, I mean, it, they're young in the military. That's who I was talking to. I had to really, like you mentioned, I said, okay, so who are, who's my ideal client and how do I get in front of those people congruently, like you said, in alignment, right, with who I am and what I represent? Because if I am that young, because honestly, it's different. It's not impossible, but it's def very difficult for a 19-year-old male to sell an insurance policy to a 45 couple year around 45-year-old couple or 30-year-old couple that have kids. He doesn't really relate to those people. It's it's not again. It's not impossible. I've seen it done, but it is. It's not. It's not. It's not uh, easy to be to be honest. But once you start getting in, is that is that kind of like what you're getting at, in a sense? Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's totally, um, you want to, yeah, there needs to be alignment throughout. 
right? And when you don't know who that person is, you need to think about, well, you know, what is the long-term plan, right? And what is the earlier version of that? And what's important to them too? Because like now, if I were 19 with what I know now, I would know what's important to those people, right? Safety, protection, um, their, their family, generational wealth, those kind of conversations. It's hard to have those kind of in-depth, real conversations with people if you're not really experiencing that, you're not really going through that. And I think that that's the reason why uh, now things have really been picking up for me because I'm I'm thinking differently. You know, I'm in a serious committed relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm seasoned in the military now where people are calling me sir, which just drives me nuts. But, you know, it's like, I, I'm still, I st in my mind, because age is, you know, is, is relative, I'm still like the young guy in the military, I, I, like how I just got in, which people like that because I, I come with that same zeal and energy. I'm so excited about what I do. I love it. I, I love working on planes. That's where, one of the reasons why my goal is to continue working in, air, in aviation while building multiple businesses outside of that, right? I want to be a multimillionaire while serving in the United States Air Force. That's my goal because... I'm there because I want to be and not because I have to be. And I always believe that when I'm alongside somebody in the trenches, I want to be fighting with somebody that's there because they want to be there next to me, not because they have to be because their finances are messed up. They don't have things going on. So people can be asking me, like, why are you still doing these certain things? I'm like, because I love it. I, I really do love what the military did for me and how it mentored me and how it got me to where I am now. And I want to continue to give back to these young airmen. And... I also want to be a millionaire. So, so I want to do both. And I don't think neither one of those things are, I don't have to choose. I can, I can do what I want to do. And it's obviously, as you can tell, just from the tone of my voice, it's in alignment with what I want. I just got to figure out a plan to put in place. So when you talk about, as, as we're kind of winding down, first of all, I want to thank you for doing the show. This is a really good conversation. Um, and before I forget, uh, I want to thank the audience for listening in. And where's the one place you'd like uh, our, if they want to learn more about one, let's promote your product, one more, uh, your services one more time. And where is the one place they can connect with you um, if they want to learn more information about um, what you're working on? Um, probably the best way to connect with me right now would be Instagram, which has my handle on the screen. Uh, I mean, I'm mostly on Clubhouse, which makes Instagram my default pl platform. <laughs> that happened with me also. That happened with me also. And if they wanted to, if they wanted to uh, learn more about your business. Um, you wanted to kind of share that because we, we were talking, we were kind of briefly talking about your uh, your program. Yeah, sure. So, um, in terms of my business, you know, um, obviously I have a website that probably needs to be updated, AllisonFriends.com. <laughs> That's fine. Listen, it's all good. And uh, you know, I have I have an event coming up in December, uh, Mindset Mastery Live, which is a lot of fun, super transformational. Feel free to send me a message, and I can get you on the wait list for that event. Is it going to be like a workshop? Um, it's a three-day virtual event. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So if they wanted to learn more, they could just uh, DM you. Um, like, Actually, just DM her the word limitless so that she knows that you heard it from the podcast. Is that fair? Yeah, sounds good. Fantastic. So Allison Fern. So that's uh, A-L-Y-S-O-N-F-R-A-N-Z.com. That was me doing public school education in public. So... Uh, <laughs> it's funny because uh, I always always tease like I'm like I'm like the worst like at reading and writing, but like as far as math and arithmetic and like critical thinking, I'm like I'm the guy, right? Uh, numbers guy. So uh, as we kind of winding down, 
Um, I love to leave my guests with the last word. So as it relates to, to limitless entrepreneurship or anything we've talked about during this podcast, Allison, what would you like to leave our audience with? So many things, but um, let's see, I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up by just really saying that to remember that your business is a science experiment and there are no failures. And uh, it's really, you know, a lot, what's going on in your business is a reflection of what's going on in you. So just always be willing to, always be willing to look at your, your business as something that is a work in progress. It's a work in progress. There are no failures. And oftentimes what's going in your, on in your business is a reflection of what's going on in you. So if there's something there, if there's a pattern you don't like, if you're stuck somewhere, you're at a plateau, chances are it's something that's going on inside you. So look at that. 